Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to World Presentations Podcast. This is episode 93, and it's called The Soul Survivor, a.k.a. Bad Law Captain Phillips in a sundress. What's up? It's, uh, I ran out for cigarettes, you know? I don't go with the classic dad excuse here. Like, I don't know. I had to go out and, uh, what's it been, like two months? I don't know. I had to circle back. I hit lights. Or like, I remember when I was young, my mom would, like, go out all the time, and then she'd, like, be out for hours and hours, like, all day. And they'd come back and be like, I had to do returns. So, like, yeah, dude. I had to, I was at Boscoff's doing returns. There were long lines, okay? So, we're back. How you been, dude? Thanks for sticking with me. I, uh, I need to lose, I, I lost, like, 30 pounds. Look, it's not important what I was doing, okay? How are you, man? Y'all all right? I hope you're okay. I just need a little time to get things going, you know? Holiday season and all that. Flew by. I don't miss it. Let's go. 2022, dude. Here we go. All right, anyway, so this is episode 93. It's Rod Serling, uh, which if you actually want to stack this one with episode 50, like I remember I worked at a gym in Westchester when I went to college, and a handful of those dudes were doing like heavy-duty steroids. So they would do like... A deco or whatever they had, and then they were also shooting diabetes medicine at the same time. Because I don't really, I mean, I listened to them. I remember it was like, I don't know what, 15 years ago. I still remember this conversation a little bit, or at least like how weird it was that I was like, wait, what are you doing, dude? You're stacking. Okay, so you're taking illegal steroids, and then also, okay, diabetes medicine, huh? So it works. He was big as shit, you know? Who am I to say no? I was over there just being like, I skip rope here. Thanks for coming. But anyway, if you want to, this is this story that we're doing, The Soul Survivor, a.k.a. Bad Luck Captain Phillips in a Sundress, is written by the guy from episode 50. That's Rod's, <clears throat> I'm sorry, that's Rod Serling, the guy who uh, wrote The Twilight Zone. So if you wanted to stack this one with episode 50 to know more about the author, probably wouldn't be the worst idea in the world if you're like new to the show, but oh, just a heads up on that one. Anyway, so uh, this story is from the book Night Gallery. This got recommended uh, to me on Patreon and classically have no idea what I'm actually doing. So full of shit, Christopher. When the guy recommended it to me, I was like, yeah, it sounds great. I, I like one clicked it. I sent it back a nice message. I was like, hey, man, I got a lot of topics and stuff. I don't think this one's ever going to like make an actual you know, episode or like maybe we'll put it in patreon or something but like probably not honestly man but i really appreciate it because i like rod serling and you know thanks for reaching out but chris so full of shit took like two months off and this is what we're coming back on because i enjoyed it so much now the book night gallery it's a it's an anthology now okay so night gallery is rod serling's project after the twilight zone was over it's pretty similar but it's still like um Every episode was different, sci-fi style, with a little bit of social commentary to it, but it's still the guy's same writing, and I really enjoy it. It's always, I mean, I said this in episode 50, but people knock M. Night Shyamalan because I've heard it said that he writes Twilight Zone episodes where there's like one big twist at the end and you can't make a 90-minute movie out of that. I don't agree with that, by the way, but I have heard that said. I like M. Night Shyamalan movies, dude, and I love Rod Serling's stuff including this book, Night Gallery. So we're doing one of the stories out of here. The book has six of these in here. 
but we're just doing the first one, Soul Survivor. Now, it was written in 1974, and I don't think this is going to spoil the story or anything, because I don't think you'd be listening to this for, like, giant reveals. Because when this was published in 74, the cultural references, which are important to, like, the buoys of plot points as the story progresses, I didn't know them. Well, I, I didn't know the last one. Knew the first one, kind of knew the second one, didn't, completely didn't know. So just for a heads up, as we go through this story, I mean, the first reference you're going to get, so I'm not going to do that one. The second one is the Lusitania, which was a British ship that got torpedoed by German submarines in 1915. And the third one is the SS Andrea Doria, which was a ship that got T-boned by a Swedish boat off of Nantucket in 1956. Now those, that's, I don't want to give away too much of that, but like, if I didn't say that up front, I don't even know if this story would make sense. I mean, it would, I don't know. It's kind of, this is like a ghost boat tale, okay? You got to know what, what the boats are going on that Rod Sterling was talking about. And it's not 1974 anymore. So I don't know how much boat disaster knowledge anybody has. I had no idea what the Andrea Doria was. I had to look that shit up. And that's like the end of this story. So anyway, heads up. Lusitania sunk by German torps. SS Andrea Doria. Whoa, got T-boned by a Swedish thing. Uh, 1956 off coast Nantucket. That's all you need as far as plot points go here. Other than that, I think we're good to go. Um, so yeah, thanks for checking out the show and let's go ahead and run through this story here. This is Rod Serling from Night Gallery. The book, uh, Night Gallery was a, a show? This is the book Night Gallery that this story is coming from are like the written versions, of, but they're not the scripts. They're the story versions that would then get turned into scripts, which would then get shot. Either way, it's more or less like Rod Serling deep cuts, Twilight Zone plots that I had never heard about. So we're going to do one of these. I like his style of storytelling, and I think it makes okay episodes. So let's go ahead and get into it. This is episode 93. It's the sole survivor, a.k.a. Bad Luck Captain Phillips in a sundress. Let's go. Here we go. All right. Our story takes place May 1915 off the southern coast of Ireland. We are on a British ocean liner. It is not a warship. It is an armed merchant cruiser, and it was registered as such, which is important for the story. So it doesn't have any guns on it to shoot people with, but it was known by, you know, 1915, we're in World War I here, that, like, yeah, you can sink these things. You know, you're putting the pieces together already? I had this through the, through the plot, the, the references up front. It's not 1974. Nobody would have known what the hell's going on. I mean, may, maybe you would have, but, like, I, I would rather say them up front, even if you know what's going to happen now. Anyway. Our story, May 1915, southern coast of Ireland, British Ocean Liner, no guns on it, all right? It's not a bad day, a little bit of fog going on, hanging out. The lookout, dude in the crow's nest, binoculars, spots an object in the water, it's about two miles ahead. He calls down to the officer of the watch and the quartermaster, yo, check this shit out. Those guys pick up binoculars, do just that. Officer of the watch, Shouts up to the lookout. Yo, dude, that is a lifeboat. That I'm not even, that's two miles out. That is a lifeboat. Okay. Quartermaster's like, yeah, all, do you see something moving in there, dude? That's, a, that's definitely a lifeboat, and something is scooching in that boat. I think there's somebody in there, man. All right, so the captain of the armed merchant cruiser wakes up, 
And he comes out and he's like, hey guys, what the fuck is going on out here? He tells the helmsman, yo, drive over to that lifeboat. I don't know if something's scooching or not, but like laws of the sea, if there is somebody out there, we, even in wartime, we got to go out there and check it out. You know, they would do the same for us, hopefully. So let's go see what the hell's going on. All right, armed merchant cruiser gets closer to the lifeboat. Captain uses the binoculars and he's like, okay, there's definitely somebody in that lifeboat. And I'm not even lying, guys. It looks like it's a lady. I, okay. Oh, all right. Let's go ahead and let's see what's going on here, huh? Office of the watch responds and he's like, there's no reports of ships in distress in this area, Captain. I don't know where that came from. That's not supposed to be here. I don't know how a lady got in there. Just a heads up. This is kind of weird, but I'm down. Let's go check it out, all right? So the captain is like, who's our best small boats man? Officer of the watch is like, we are talking about Mr. Richards, dude. Yo, call his ass up here. He loves his job. Mr. Richards, best small boatsman they have, pops up on deck. He's like, Captain, how are we? We got a lifeboat out there, and I heard there's a lady in there. I can't wait to go see what the hell's going on out there. Richards jumps in a lifeboat, and he also brings a signalman with him. Well, because there's no cell phones or anything. So, like, even though Mr. Richards is the best small boat guy they had, there's going to be no way. You got to have somebody to be able to, like, Morse code back, like, hello, this thing is dead. Or this, we actually found J-Lo. I can't believe this shit. You got to bring somebody to be able to communicate back to the big boat. What's going on here? So, Mr. Richards and a signalman fly out in a fan boat to this lifeboat with maybe something going on in it. We're about to find out. All right. While Mr. Richards and the signalman are going out to find, you know, solve this mystery a little bit, the captain says to the quartermaster, yo, stop engines. To which the quartermaster responds, yeah, aye, aye, sir, I'll do it. But he also kind of makes that gritty teeth emoji thing where he's like, I don't want to, I don't really want to do that. And he doesn't want to do that because, you, again, we're in an armed merchant cruiser. There's not, you don't have any real defense and we are in wartime. So slowing down a giant boat, it's just making it a way easier target, and it's a clear, waveless day. Not great. But, you know, rules of the sea. Somebody's out there. It's wartime. Slow the... Th just stop the boat. We're not going to die. It's fine, right? So, boat's slowing down. Richard's going out to see what's going on in this lifeboat. Meanwhile, the captain grabs a thing of binoculars, and while he's doing that, he's thinking in his head, Man, do I hate that we are doing this shit. Whew. It is, we are, I don't feel good about this at all. Okay. It is, there's no fog. We are just sitting here. I don't even know if anybody's in. There might be a seal in there. I don't, we are, I'm risking everybody's life and I hate this, dude. And then through the binoculars, the captain sees on the side of the lifeboat that Richards and the signalmen are going out to, it reads... The Titanic? And the captain's like, I don't, I don't know. There's barnacles on that shit. That can't say Titanic, dude. Whatever. I'm, I'm losing my mind. Whatever. Richards and the signalman scoop up the unconscious person that's in that lifeboat. Turn that fanboat back around. Coming on back, right? Whatever was in there is coming back. Towing the boat. Let's see what's going on, man. So, unconscious person from the lifeboat brought aboard. Captain removes the blanket, try to suss out what's going on here, takes the blanket off the person's face. And it is a person in a dress, but it is a man and he has a full beard. 
and he's emaciated. I'm talking like 109 pounds, dude's in a sundress, full beard. Captain takes a beat, and he's like, all right, well, this is an interesting day for sure. Go ahead and take him down to the infirmary, and uh, I guess we'll keep solving this puzzle when he wakes up. I don't know. Still don't feel good about having our boat being at a dead stop here, but, uh, I mean, he's not going to die now, so we'll just figure it out. I mean, me, I don't know. Take him to the infirmary, dude. So, as the unconscious survivor goes down to the infirmary, the crew examines the lifeboat, and it is barnacled up to the waterline. It is tough to read whatever the hell is on there, and inside of the lifeboat, there are no life jackets. There's no food. There's no flare. And one of the crew members is like, yo, it does say Titanic, dude. What is happening, right? Now, heads up, the Titanic sunk in 1912. And in the story, it is 1915, May 1915. So the captain is like, all right, well, here's what's happening, guys. I know it says Titanic and like, I don't really know. But like that, there's no, that dude's been at sea. Like I'm talking like two weeks, maybe one week. To maybe three weeks. He's not, it's not the boat, it's not a boat from the Titanic, fellas, okay? Will everybody calm down? The captain's a little temperamental. He's kind of frustrated because he wasn't, he doesn't want to be doing this. You know, you ever have like a special project? You're already busy at work, and then somebody's like, oh, hey, by the way, can you just spend like three hours of your day doing something else for me? Which sucks to begin with. Imagine how bad that would be if you could also almost get blown up. If you had to like do somebody else's project real quick. But and while you're doing it, you're like, I don't know, it might explode. This whole place might explode. This is not, this is super dangerous. I don't want to do this. So the captain is a little grumpy at the whole situation. He's got he doesn't have a whole lot of patience for this shit right now. All right. So uh oh, and then the the quartermaster's like uh questions the uh the captain's theory of two to three weeks, and then the captain kind of snaps back and he's like, dude, I don't. Don't ask me. I, I've been here with you the whole time. When he wakes up, we'll ask him. How about that, huh? Sound good? That's enough. All right. Time passes. Cut to the infirmary. Doctor is checking out the unconscious dude. Doctor reports back to the captain. When the captain walks in, when he's an update, hopefully this guy wakes up soon because he's a little, you know, he's, he doesn't feel great about this whole thing. So captain walks in in the infirmary. Doctor's like, hey, man. Uh, you want to report it? Cap's like, yeah, that's why I came down here. What the hell's going on? The doctor's like, well, here's what we're dealing with. This uh, this person's like 80% in the coma. His right foot uh, all the way frostbitten on here. And uh, yeah, impossibly skinny. Maybe 102 pounds, 104 pounds. This guy is light. But otherwise, good to go. This guy's good to go. You know what I'm saying? Captain's like, all right, well, when he wakes up, let me know. And then as he says that, unconscious man wakes up. All right. Obviously, the captain has a few questions. He pulls up one of those chairs, does like the, the high school teacher trying to be cool, talk to you about your life posture, where he pulls a chair up, turns it backwards, and straddles it. And he's like, I got to talk to you, son. Now, when he sits down, the captain's already frustrated. He's fired up. This captain is having temper problems. I hope he's working on himself. He should have taken three mindful breaths before he got into this because he really doesn't have a lot of patience for this shit. He's just scared he's going to get everybody blown up. You can't fault him for this. It's a tough day of work. 
you can't judge his managerial skills based on one stressful situation. He doesn't have a lot of patience, though. All right, Captain pulls the chair up and tries to stay chill. Okay, for 90 minutes, the captain is trying to be like, yo, can you just tell me what is going on, man? Can you please, can you please help me out? The survivor is saying nothing. He's reading the, the menu from Friendly's, dude. He's talking about the specials at Denny's. It's, he's making no sense, right? So captain is getting, he is really not having a good time with this dude. All right. After an hour and a half of that, the captain's had enough. He just kind of snaps and he's like, yo, dude, what ship were you on, man? It's enough. Tell me what you're doing. You're going back in the water. We got to go. The survivor is like, yo, dude, I was on the Titanic, man. Captain, that doesn't help. Captain is upset. Hasn't meditated in a while. He's, he's going to lose it. Captain's like, all right, fine, man. What, what's your name, at least? Can you please give me any sort of information? We've been talking for almost two hours. I don't even know what the hell you've been saying. Talking about how to, the, the quickest way to get to New York. You turn bike 295. I don't give a shit. What is your name, dude? The guy's like, ah, dude, I don't actually know my name. Sorry about that, but I am from the Titanic. Captain, Captain kind of flips out, dude. Right, silence, almost like flinches him, almost fucking socks him, right? and the captain backs up, and it's time for brass tacks here. Captain's like, hey, bud, why you got that dress on? If you're on the Titanic, you, why you got it on, huh? What happened? Survivor's just quiet. The captain's like, all right, well, here's the thing. How, how about I take a stab at how you ended up in a lifeboat dressed like a woman, almost dead? You want me to take a stab at it? Survivor's still quiet. Captain's like, here's what happened. I think you were a piece of shit on a sinking ship. You stole a sundress, covered your face, and then got in a lifeboat. I don't know if you killed everybody, if you ate everybody else that was supposed to be in that lifeboat, but I'm almost sure this is what happened. What do you think of that theory, champ? Total silence. And then the, the survivor's like, it's 1912, right? Captain's got to take a walk, okay? Sometimes, at least he knows to put some distance between him and his emotional trigger at this point in time. He's like, I can't be talking to him anymore. I got to go out in the hallway, Doc. Can I please talk to you? Doc and the captain go out in the hallway. They huddle up, right? Captain leans into the Doc and he's like, hey, man, how well coached is this guy, huh? You know what I'm saying? The doctor's like, I don't What do you mean, like, well coached? Do you, I don't know, is he, what are you talking about, like a crazy guy or... He's having a hard time. We should probably try to feed him something. You got like a Snickers or something? This guy is. You got some Cheez-Its? He's, yeah, he's, he's having a hard time, bro. And the captain's like, no, no, no. This is a German spy, man. Are you not seeing this? This is absolutely a German spy. He's coached up. He made us stop the boat. He's not talking. He's been stalling for time. He knows exactly what's happening here. We're in danger. This is a German spy, dude. Doctor's quiet. And then at this point in time in the story, it says uh, that uh, like there's a there's a line in the story that looks if you've watched a lot of Twilight Zone episodes or anything, there's always like a tracking shot that then stays on almost like a foreshadowing, like a clue of what's going to happen in the in the future episode. That happens right after this German spy conversation. So the tracking shot moves over and then stays on 
a life ring, like those uh, rings they throw off of boats, but it always has the boat name on it, and the name on the boat ring is the Lusitania. Cut back to the infirmary. How's the survivor doing? Well, he won't stop staring at the ceiling. That's never a good sign. That's in every demonic possession movie I can think of. Anytime you got ceiling staring going on, it is disconcerting. Real life movies, that's what this dude's doing. He is staring, he's counting the tiles, staring right at fluorescent lights. It's 1915, there's no fluorescent lights. I don't know what the hell he's looking at. Anyway, won't stop looking north. Also, won't eat anything. They try to give him crackers, saltines, everything else. He's just not, he's not responding, dude. So, the doctor tries to play good cop a little bit. He comes up and he's like, hey man, how are you? So you were, uh, you were on the Titanic, huh? That's pretty cool. What was your, uh, could you tell me like, what, what was like your job on the Titanic, man? That must've been crazy. What were you doing? And the survivor responds, stoker, which is an actual job on the Titanic. And so the doctor's like, ah, cool, man. How about that? Yeah, this is, uh, that's pretty good. Conversation kind of dies. And then the survivor decides to open up about some thoughts he's having. The survivor deadpans just real flat. I'm not, it doesn't say whether he's still looking at the ceiling, but if he started saying this shit while you're looking at the ceiling, dude, I'm throwing you out. I'm le either leaving, I'm going to tell the captain, you got to go. Do we have a pirate gun pistol to shoot this thing with? Because it's not, I, I don't even know what's going on here. This guy's scaring me. He's looking at the ceiling, and this is what he starts saying. He's like, we're on the Lusitania, right? And the doctor's like, yes. Yeah, we are, man. We, yep. And he's like, it's 1915, right? The doctor's like, yeah, it is, dude. Two for two? The survivor's like, I've been in a lifeboat for three years. And the doctor tries to stay chill here, but it's said in the story that the guy deadpans it like it's an actual fact, and it's so bizarre to claim something like that as if it is absolutely the truth that the doctor kind of gets freaked out. And in his head, he's like, okay, so this dude is definitely not a spy because uh, this is like too, this is too much, bro. Spies are, I mean, they exist, but they're usually organized and they seem like they're planning shit. Like they're more calculated than this. This guy's been staring north for been like seven hours. He's been on this boat. <laughs> this guy's neck's got to be killing him. He got whiplash by now. This guy does not take care of himself. And then, all the sound dies during this conversation between the doctor and the survivor. The ship, it, it's not like everything turns off. It's like there's just no more sound. And at this, the survivor starts spilling the beans. He's like, hey, man, I'm not lying about being on the Titanic, okay? I was on that thing when it went down. We hit that iceberg. I remember it, the scraping on the bow. And then I tried to get in a lifeboat, man, right? I was just in like normal, you know, dude, you know, hanging out. I got, tried to get in a lifeboat. They were like, no, man, what are you talking about? You die here. This is women and children only. Why would you try to get on this lifeboat? How, why don't you help some women and children before you freeze to death, get on the lifeboat? Why would you even try to get on this lifeboat, bro? So here's the thing. Everybody says that you're supposed to die for women and children in a shipwreck, right? How many people say that shit while it's happening? You know? I, I don't feel great about it. 
but I got denied from that lifeboat, and I was like, I'm not. I'm going to freeze to death in three minutes. I don't want to do that. Surely, God would forgive me for one seat on a lifeboat if I, if I earn my way there with a good enough disguise. Come on. How mad could the divine get at me, right? So the boat was sinking. I did go down to some quarters, and I was like, is there some, I was just looking for clothes no matter what. I was like, hey, I want to look at some clothes. And then I did find like a tasteful sundress and then put a face covering on. And I was like, well, now, I mean, I might as well go try to get back on the lifeboat. What the hell? I mean, I mean, just one thing led to another type deal, right? So I gave it on the lifeboat, dude. I was punching ladies in the face. I spun kicking old woman. I was out of my mind, dude, right? So I get on the lifeboat. They're lowering the lifeboat down. Cables snap on the lifeboat. Everybody falls out. I'm dressed like Whoopi Goldberg from Sister Act in the beginning where she could run in heels real well, dude. I'm hanging on. Lifeboat's going down. Everybody else is out of the lifeboat. They all died. I didn't kill them. They fell out, dude. They got to work on that grip strike. Maybe go rock climbing every now and then. You got to work on that. You got to use your ring finger and your middle finger. Those are your strongest ones. Latch that on. You can feel it in your top. You just, you got to hang on, dude. They didn't know. I couldn't tell them. You know, I wish I could have told them I could have been a knowledgeable member of that lifeboat if they would have let me on in the first time. I feel like it's everybody else's fault, to be honest with you. So anyway, that's kind of what happened there. So I don't you can judge me if you want. But I have been in that lifeboat for three years. OK, so. What do you that's just what how you feel about that, Doc? And there's still no sound. It's still real weird. And the doc was wigged out before when he just thought that, like, oh, this isn't a spy. This guy is actually, like, has mental problems. Or, like, he's been, I don't really know what was going on. And that was before this origin story that involved reverse elbowing a toddler to get into a lifeboat, right? So the doctor's like, all right, well, there is a rational explanation for this, right? Survivor gives it a beat, and he's like, yeah, that, I mean, no, there's not. Also, heads up, this ship's about to get trucked by torpedoes, dude. I should tell you that. You have not got long. We are going to get slammed by three torpedoes. How do you feel about that? And the doctor's like, holy shit, dude, you are a German spy. I can't believe it. Like, I'm upset that, I'm, that you're telling me I'm going to blow up. But you want, dude, I'm telling you, the captain called this. I thought the captain was losing it. You are a German spy. I mean, I don't know if we execute you or not. It's more like I'm, a, I'm excited to know the answer more than I am scared to blow up. It's hard to picture blowing up because I've never done it, but I found answers before in my life, and I love the satisfying feeling of it, dude. Anyway, so can you please chill with all this crazy shit fucking scaring me? Damn, German spy. And the survivor's like, close. I like that you feel satisfied, and I'm sorry to ruin that. However, not a German spy. What I am is a cursed demon man ever since I went Streets of Rage on the Titanic. Right? I thought God would forgive me for that. He did, he did not. I didn't. Oh, man, he is upset. So here's, here's what's going on. Here's how I know you're about to get crushed by torps. Okay? So the way it works... So you found me in a lifeboat, right? Cool. Not the first time this has happened. What happened? I'm in a lifeboat chilling. A nice boat 
that is also doomed, but doesn't know it yet, stumbles upon me, right? I don't say anything. You know, what else am I doing? I'm a cursed demon, man. I'm not going to give him a heads up. I can't stop this shit. I can't eat. I'm 104 pounds. I'm like, I have the body of a man. I have no sensation of feel. I can't, you know, there's a lot of things I miss in my life. So anyway, I don't even tell these people before I get on these dune boats. A lot of the times they'll just blow up and I'll just be like, whoops, there it goes. I don't want, why would I, why would I spoil it? I let people enjoy it. And then everybody blows up. It's not the first time this has happened, man. Anyway, so you guys find me in a lifeboat. You rescue me, whatever boat I'm on gets knocked the fuck out. And then I'm back in a lifeboat. Sometimes I don't even remember, dude. Last time I didn't even get in the, like, I was in the lifeboat, but I'm telling you, I don't even have to be in the lifeboat. It's like a, a circular curse. How did God get this mad at me? I just wanted one seat. I didn't push anybody out the lifeboat. I used my rock climbing skills. I stayed on there. I feel like this is a bit much, you know, but I don't know. I've never heard a story about a, a biblical curse where the guy blames other people and then gets out of it. So I'm working through it. I try to journal out my feelings, but yeah, this boat's about to blow the fuck up, dude. You better calm. <laughs> you are going to have a problem soon. So hard cut to the doctor explaining this to the captain in the captain's quarters. To which the captain responds, why are we, this makes no sense, dude. I would, I'm not. First off, it's funny that he believes this. I'm I, totally German spy, right? Didn't I call this shit? Well coached. Look at it. What has he got? Some sort of some fairy tale? Look at the, the attention to detail. I'm impressed with German espionage, to be honest with you. He had a whole cycle thing. I bet he wrote that out in a diagram, bro. Wow. But yeah, totally full of shit, man. Hilarious. The reason it doesn't make sense, why would we get crushed by torpedoes because this guy was a piece of shit on the Titanic three years ago. I didn't do anything. What, what did Mr. Richards do? Mr. Richards likes his job. He went and got him. Why would he blow up Mr. Richards? Doesn't make any fucking sense, dude. Anyway, but it's a great story, dude. I can't, I'm, I'm happy we found him, you know? But we better get this boat moving because he might actually, we seriously might get blown up. To which the doctor is like, yeah, I don't think we have to worry about getting blown up, dude. Because uh, another thing he said is that, like, when the torpedoes slam into the side of us, he's going to be the only one who feels it and is aware of it. And the captain's like, how's that? And the doctor's like, what? It's... He said we're phantoms already. He said, we're ghosts, man. We're not going to know. We're not even here. He's the only one that they, he's in like a half spirit world thing. And part of his punishment is that he has to experience every one of the ship disasters that he's going to have to be on for the rest of eternity. Yo, we, we've been dead for like a year and a half, dude. And at this, the captain's like, oh, dude, this guy is coach. Who wrote this shit? They have incredible fiction writers. In Germany. Wow. Captain gets up, looks out the porthole. He's looking at a sunrise and he's like, I dude, I don't even feel like a ghost, dude. What the hell are you talking about? He turns back around. Doctor's not there anymore. 
Captain's alone in the captain's quarters. Captain starts freaking out. Okay. Runs over to the, like, the old-timey ship's phone, picks it up. He's like, yo, Bridge, hello? Hey, is anybody Sea Deck? How are you guys feeling this morning? Anybody want to put on some Todd Rundgren? You guys feeling good? What the? I can't. Hello? Anybody? Hello? And then the captain's quarters are empty. The captain disappears. He's gone. The only guy left on the boat's the survivor. And at this, the survivor gets up because he notices that everybody is vanished yet again. So he knows, yo, here comes the boom. Survivor starts panicking, runs up on deck. Help, help. He grabs a phone. Is anybody, can I, oh my God. He looks out to the side and he sees like a black broomstick coming out of the ocean. That's the periscope of the submarine. And he knows it's coming. Oh, God. Damn it, dude. I just wanted to see it on a lifeboat, dude. How am I about to get blown up? Come on, man. And he sees one torpedo, second torpedo, third torpedo. All three of them coming straight for him, dude. Tries to close his eyes, but... Survivor explodes in a blinding flash of incredible pain. <laughs> oh no, dude. Cut to the same survivor back in a lifeboat adrift at sea. And this time, the lifeboat reads the Lusitania. And it is spotted by another boat which is the SS Andrea Doria, which, as we said at the beginning, got T-boned by a Swedish boat off the coast of Nantucket in 1956. Survivors rescued by the Andrea Doria, and the last line of the story, the survivor faints in the arms of his new crew, pulling him to safety. Right? That's not, I, Rod Serling, man. That's a deep cut. I don't even know if they ever made that into an episode. I hope you enjoyed the story. I, I, I really like it. I, it's like a ghost boat tale. Also, like, maritime law gets in there. The actual story from Night Gallery um, has a lot of, jar like, maritime jargon. Because I, uh, in reading about the story, specifically Soul Survivor from Night Gallery, Rod Serling really went in meticulous detail, asking friends from the Navy and stuff. I didn't do it justice at all. There's a, at, at the beginning, there's all sorts of like correct how many toots of the horn mean something else, the chain of command, quartermaster. Like, he really put a lot of work into the story. I didn't do it justice, but it's just I wanted to be able to tell the story. I wanted a fun topic coming back for 93. I really enjoyed doing the show. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed the story. And uh, I hope everybody has a nice weekend. All right. I'll talk to you guys later on. All right. I'll see you.